Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We're in a series called The Counselor, and the, the kind of the idea behind the series is it's, Jesus asked a lot of questions. Uh, you know, was, uh, he had some questions asked of him, and a lot of times when people would ask questions of him, he had questions in return. But if you, wa- if you read the Gospels, you, you see him constantly asking questions of people. Last week we talked about, uh, you know, he saw this lame man. He came across a lame man and, and he asked him the question, do you want to be well? Which there, it's a, there's a lot of depth in that. And we looked at that last week. Two weeks ago we talked about how Jesus came into contact with two men who were blind and they were asking him to help him, uh, help them. And, and he looked at them and said, do you believe I can do this? Which is a, a really important question for us. Um, today we're going to deal with a, a very important question centered around spiritual doubts. Jesus is going to ask the question today, why do doubts rise in your mind? Now some of you are in here and, and you would describe your faith. You would look at me and say, Brett, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. And if, if that's you and that describes your faith, then, then I'm happy for you, you know, good on you. I would say to you, that's great. You go for it. Way to have a good, strong faith. But for many people, and I will even say this, I would say for many people in this room this morning, that is just simply not the case. It's not that simple for you. It's not that clean for you. You, you, you might come to church regularly, but if you were totally honest, you would say, Brett, if I'm really, really honest, I, I, there's, I'm fighting with some things. I mean, I, I got some doubts about some stuff. They, they might say something like, you know, I, I, I just, I need a little bit more. I'm just naturally skeptical. Brett, I, I'm, I'm pretty analytical and I want to believe, but I need to, I need to see some proof first. Or I need to see, I need to have some questions answered before I can really believe. I'll just tell you a quick story to kind of set the table this morning. When I was um, a young man, I, I grew up, um, I, was, I grew up a good kid. Okay, I was a good kid. I was, I was very compliant. You know, my mom used to say things to us like, I hope you have one just like you. She'd get mad at us, you know, and I hope you have one just like you one of these days. You'll know what you put me through. Well, I always thought that if I had one just like me, I wouldn't worry about him because I knew he wasn't going to get in trouble. Mom would tell me, don't do that, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I just didn't do it. You know, I was just a pretty good kid. And I went to church with her. I had the great honor and privilege of having a mother that didn't send me to church. She took me to church. You know the difference, right? And we would sit right over here, right over about the second row. Mom had a pew, and we, that's where we sat. We never missed. If the preacher was going to be there, like Mark Lowry used to say, if the preacher was going to be there washing windows on a Thursday night, we filled a pew and watched him do it, right? Like, that's what, what it was for me. And I knew when I got to church, if I got there, you know, if I drove separately and I couldn't find mom, I knew where I would eventually find her on the second row, ready to listen to LD. And, and I, I've spent many a Sunday side by side with my mother, taking communion, listening to LD preach to us and teach us. And, and so my faith was just, you know, I grew up with a really strong faith. And then I went off to Bible college. And you would think that when you get to Bible college that, well, it would just increase your faith. It would just make things better. Uh, the, the, the fact of the matter is I got to Bible college and they started to go really in-depth on some things. And I started reading the Bible and looking at some of the stories, the story of Jonah and the whale, the story of Moses and the children of Israel and everything that they went through, the story of David. 
you know, the story of Samson. And I started to think to myself, Brett, you're, you're going to graduate and you're going to go out into a world and speak to adults and try and teach them these stories. Adults, Brett, this isn't Sunday school. This isn't little kids that'll just believe anything. You're going to tell these stories to adults. And it started to really impact my faith or lack thereof. And I literally came to a place... <laughs> Of all places in the middle of Bible college, and I don't think I'm alone in this, I think a lot of kids that go off to college and Bible college even come to a place where they start asking some questions, and I found myself, it sounds weird for me to even say this out loud, I don't know that I've ever said this out loud really to anybody, but I'm not too sure that I wasn't an atheist at some point in all of that. And so I, I just, I, I had some, some problems, I had some struggles doubts started to fill my mind i started to ask myself things like man brett have you been brainwashed what if the stuff that we have been told is is just really somebody taking care of our of my taking advantage of my naivety what if somebody's just pulled the wool over my eyes and i and i really can't hang my hat on any of this stuff and doubts flooded my mind and, and doubts can still sometimes even as a pastor can flood my mind and can and they doubts come in all shapes and sizes some people doubt the existence of God. In fact, they go further than that. They, they, they're sure there is no God. And anybody who believes in God, as far as they're concerned, is incapable of any intellectual thought or conversation. They don't even want to have a conversation with somebody who believes in God. Other people believe that there is a God, but they doubt his involvement in the day-to-day -day activities of the world. They say, you know, uh, he might be there, but he's not having anything to do with us. Some people say things like, you know, I, I, I doubt that God hears my prayers. I pray, but I don't really know if God's listening to me. Um, nothing happened. You know, I prayed and nothing happened. So either he's not there or he's not listening, but I didn't get what I wanted. So maybe he doesn't have the ability or whatever. One thing I hear a lot is people who doubt that God could actually love them. They say things to me like, Brett, if you, if you knew the kind of life I've lived, if you knew how I grew up, if you, if you, Brett, if you could see what I did last week, you would know that I, you know, he, God could, after everything I've done, God could never forgive me. And Brett, I just doubt that the God that you're talking about is real. Some people would say, well, I kind of wanted to believe in God, but then I met some Christians and, and now I'm not so sure, Right? You ever met a Christian that made you doubt God's existence? Like, if that's what that's like, I don't want anything to do with that. Because they were messed up. How can I believe in a God whose followers are so messed up and jacked up? Doubters come in all, sh in all shapes and sizes. Now, for those of you who are just normal church people, maybe you're not super involved, maybe you're not really deep into it, you're just kind of, maybe you're watching from the outside and you see some things uh, I'm just going to fill you in on some church people news, okay? Newsflash, church people can be not so great to other church people sometimes, right? Can I get an amen? It happens once in a while, right? Like It's like, well, it doesn't always go great. And one of the ways that this can show forth is like this. Someone would say something like, well, if you're having doubts, then you really aren't in our club. If you ever have doubts, that means you don't have faith. And if you have doubts, that means you might not be saved. If you have doubts, then you really aren't following Jesus. And if you have doubt, then I'm not really sure that you can belong in our Christian circle. We, we, we look at you funny. We really know what to make of you if you've got doubts. Today, I want to take an opposite approach with you. I want to talk today 
I, what I want to say is probably necessary for you to, to, to push through some of the doubts that you have and, and in order for you to experience a, a depth of faith that is rich and personal and real. Um, I think we need to have this conversation this morning. Some people would be prone to say that doubt is the end of real faith. That's what some people would say. Doubt is really the end of real faith. To the contrary, for many people, doubt is the beginning point. It's the beginning of real, sincere, and grounded faith. Back to my experience in college. Uh, See, the problem was, up until then, my mom said there was a God. Now, if if you know me very well, you know I love my mama. She's still alive. She's in her 80s now. Um, I, when, when, when Didi and I go home to visit mom and dad, it's, it's a, I love being in the presence of my mother. She still instructs me. She still challenges me to faith. We talk about things. Just uh, I, I know how fortunate I am to still have her with me, and I count it a blessing every time I'm with her. And I, so I, I have always looked up to my mother, and I've always seen her as this pillar of faith in my life. And the problem was I got to Bible college and I believed that there was a God. I didn't just believe it. I knew it. And I knew it because my mother said there was a God. And mama don't lie. My mama don't lie. She's not, she wouldn't tell me something that wasn't true. And all of a sudden I got confronted with some intellectual stimulation that started to have me really question a bunch of things And what had to happen was I had to go through a period of doubt and shed my mother's faith. I was looking for an illustration to kind of describe this. And anytime you hear a preacher use an illustration, you have to understand that that illustrations, sermon illustrations, if you push them long enough, will almost always break down, okay? They don't stand up to to super hard scrutiny. It's not the Word of God. It's not anything like that. It's just somebody trying to help you understand it a little better. And so once in a while, when a preacher uses an illustration, it kind of breaks down. I don't know how well this one's going to go, but I'm going to try this. It's, to me, it's kind of like a snake that sheds its skin. Like, I, I, you know, the skin I brought into Bible college was a, a, a skin that was only served me well to get me there, but at some point I needed to shed that skin and I need to take on a new skin. But in order for that to happen, I had to go through this season of doubt, severe doubt earth-shattering, faith-shattering, like wake-you-up-out-of-a-dead-sleep kind of doubt, like sitting under a tree trying to figure out what in the world do I believe. I have a saying that came out of that experience, faith is not faith until doubt is introduced. Faith is not faith until doubt is introduced. If you know it, it's not faith. I knew there was a God. That's not faith. My mama told me there was one. That's not faith. Faith is I could be wrong. Faith is you believe this and you may not be right. Faith is you believe this and somebody could make an idiot out of you. Somebody could really expose you. Faith says I don't have any guarantee because I can't prove it to you. We need to find some humility in this area and just admit that there is a possibility that we could be wrong. Now, obviously, I don't think so because I wouldn't be up here talking to you this morning. 
about the risen Christ. I believe that there is evidence for my faith. I, I, I can certainly understand and identify with some of you in the room this morning that are having a harder time coming to faith. I get it. I understand. I want you to know you're among friends this morning. You're among people who get it. So if you've walked in here this morning and you're thinking, man, I, I just, I mean, I'm going for mom, but I don't know that I believe this. You know, I'm going because my wife wants me to go, but I, I, don't, I don't know how much of this I'm really buying. It's okay. I get it. I understand. There's nothing wrong with you. But what I hope to do in the time that we have left is to help you take some steps in that direction this morning. Today, I want to take a look at somebody who was branded as a doubter. You know his name. His name was Doubting Thomas. Poor Thomas. Dude gets 12 verses of scripture. And at the end of 12 verses of scripture, we come to a place where we assign that moniker to Thomas. Doubting Thomas. That's not fair. The cool thing about Thomas is that his life shows us that who he becomes is evidence that even the biggest doubters can one day have the strongest faith. Jesus had just risen from the dead. He has just encountered these two men on the way to this place called Emmaus. And in Luke's gospel, we're going to pick up the story just after what we refer to as the Emmaus experience. It's Luke chapter 24, verse 36. And then we're going to slip over and catch John 20 for a little bit if you want to follow along in your Bible. Luke 24, verse 36 says this, While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, if we have any good Catholics in the room right now, what are you tempted to say back to me? See, all my Catholic brothers and sisters are here, and they, they're letting me know, right? Verse 37, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Yeah, they were frightened and startled, because they, they had seen him dead. Dead. They saw him beaten. They saw him hung on a cross. They saw him take out a spear and drive it into his side to make sure that he was going to be dead. My, my papa died many years ago. In fact, my papa died uh, before any of my now grown children were ever born. So, so they never got a chance to meet him. Um, you know, it's been a while since Papa was with us. I, here's what I can tell you. If Papa showed up at my house today and knocked on the door, I would be frightened and startled, okay? Frightened and that, that wouldn't even begin to, to describe what, what kind of feelings and thoughts I would have. That's what's going on in the disciples' minds. Jesus was dead. There's no way he's going to show up. And now he's in the room with us, and so they're thinking to themselves, got to be a ghost. Verse 38, he, Jesus, said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? You can almost hear it in his voice. Come on, guys. Why are you doubting? D did you forget everything that you saw me do? I healed blindness. I raised people from the dead. I turned water into wine. I walked on water, I healed paralytics, I healed lepers. I told you I would give my life, I told you I would take it back up again. That was the plan all along. I told you the plan. Come on, guys, what? 
Why are you being like this? Why do you doubt? Verse 39, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. Now guess who wasn't at this meeting? Thomas isn't there. We know this because John's gospel tells us that John wasn't there. John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So what we could say is Thomas missed church. And I would say to you, you miss a lot when you miss church. What did Thomas miss? Thomas missed the power and presence of God. He missed the proof of God in this case. You miss a lot when you miss church. Some of you have, are here today. Uh, we haven't seen you in a while. Welcome back. We're glad you're here. We, we've missed you. Thomas missed church, and he missed the proof of Jesus. Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Man, Thomas, we were there. We, we saw him. You missed it, brother. You missed it. But he... Thomas said to him, and I love the raw honesty in what Thomas says in these moments, the second part of verse 25, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. That's pretty absolute. I will not believe. I want to, but unless I can do those things, I, I just... I. I can't yet, guys. I can't. Not yet. It may be that simple for you, but it's not that simple for me. Have you ever felt that way? Like it seems like it's easy for everybody else, but when it comes to you, you're like, man, I just, I can't, I can't. I'm just having a hard time getting there where everybody else seems to get there so easy. I want more than just a secondhand faith, Thomas would say. I want a firsthand faith experience with the risen Christ. It's like I said earlier, some people just kind of believe because they're their partner believes, you know, they, they, they believe because uh, their mama believed, they believe because their best friend believed, you know, it's a, whatever it is. Sometimes people just kind of believe, and then one day something happens and it shakes what little faith you have. And you find yourself asking questions like I did when I was in college, do I have faith or is this my mom's faith? Is Jesus really the only way to God? Because it's a big world. And there are a lot of people who believe a lot of different stuff. That's a big claim. Jesus is the only way. Is God really that narrow? And if Jesus really did exist, did he really rise from the dead? Don't pass by what the disciples have told us, that Jesus wasn't content to just stay in heaven and become one of us. Jesus came born of a virgin. Therefore, he did not inherit a sin nature like we have. But the divine nature of Almighty God, so he could live without sin, and on the cross, he could be what the Bible calls sin for us. He became sin for us. That may be the deepest, heaviest sentence in the Bible. When you begin to let your brain wrap, its, wrap itself around this idea that sinless Jesus Christ on the cross became sin for us he would die as a perfect sacrifice in our place but he claims that he didn't stay dead his the eyewitnesses testify that on the third day the stone was rolled away and jesus was not in there 
Now, if that's true, if that's true, then it demands a response. And I think the only response to a Savior who died for me and rose again, the only response I have for that is for me to live my life for him. I don't know what else to do with that. Thomas said, I want to know if this is true because if it is, it's going to change everything. I hear people say, Brett, you can't, you can't have, you know, you can't have faith if you doubt. Listen to me. Sometimes you can't have real faith until you press through some of your doubts. Doubts are not the end of real faith. For most, doubt is the beginning of a solidified, rock-solid faith that will move you forward and walk with you through the future. Um, I, I, you know, once in a while in my time as a pastor, I've had parents walk up to me, either a mom or a dad, and, and typically the, the, the way it goes like this. It's usually October, November. They've got a, a young son or daughter that just entered college. They've taken a philosophy class. They've got a professor that hates Christianity and is out to destroy their kid, the kids in the class faith, right? Did you ever run into that guy in class in college? You ever meet that guy? hates Christianity, hates Jesus, doesn't want anybody to believe in God, and makes it his mission on earth to destroy faith. And now this mother or father has a son or a daughter that's gone off to college. And you can, I could almost spot them when they would come. They would come walking up to me, wringing their hands. Oh, Brett, what's the matter? Oh, little Johnny, he's gone off to college. And he got a philosophy professor. He talked all this stuff to him. And I don't even think he believes in Jesus anymore. And it's about that point that I freak him out because I take a step back and I go, all right. All right. That's a good thing. How's that a good thing? Because up until now, he believed in God because you said there was one. Now we're about to find out if he has his own faith. Now we're about to find out if he can push through some of this stuff. Thank God for this philosophy professor that is challenging everything he's ever been taught because on the other side of this, his faith will be his faith and not your faith, and that's a good thing. See, that's got to happen and probably is happening for some people even in the room as we talk. You know, you're probably, somebody, the odds are good that in a, crowd this size somebody is in here right now and you're trying to work through some faith issues and you're going I want to believe but I'm just not sure if I can that's a good thing because when you work through some of that stuff on the back side of it will you be able to prove it no but your faith will be your faith and it won't be your parents and it won't be somebody that you look up to and it won't be mine or won't be anybody else's it will be yours Thomas said, I want to believe, but I'm going to need a little bit more. Some of you want to believe, but you need just a little bit more. And that is exactly what Jesus did for Thomas. We're still in the book of John, verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Jesus, or John is very aware, you'll notice, John is very aware of where, of where Thomas is. He wants us to know where Thomas is. And now check out Jesus. He's, he is done playing, right? Like he is not messing around. Through, through the, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So understand, the stone didn't keep him in the tomb. 
And locked doors weren't going to keep him outside from where the disciples were. He's Jesus. And I don't know how he did it, but he, he gets through, into the room where they are in this locked room. And, I, you know, when you think about this, it's kind of comical if you start thinking about it. Like, here's the thing. People say that they believe in God, but they don't believe in Jesus. I've heard people say that. You know, I believe in God, I just don't know if I believe in Jesus. Well, if you believe in God, that's the hard part. I mean, if you believe in God, for me, believing in God makes it really easy to believe in Jesus. That, I mean, am I crazy? I mean, if there's a God, he can, in Jesus, he can do anything he wants. And so I just imagine Jesus walking up, getting ready to walk through this door, and it's locked. And it's like, oh, come on. Come on. Next thing you know, he shows up, and, and he's, I just imagine Jesus kind of rolls his eyes. Like, really? And the next thing you know, he's in the room. Even though the door's locked. He's gotten into the room somehow. Brett, do you really believe that? Listen, if you believe in God, it's easy to believe that. He walks through the wall. Then Jesus, then he said to Thomas, and here, I want you to notice this about, about uh, this. Jesus doesn't talk to any of the other disciples in the room. He goes straight to Thomas. He cares about the one who wants to believe, and he goes straight to Thomas to give him what he needs. Put your finger here, he said. See my hands, reach out your hand, and put it into my side. And I don't know about you, but I can just hear the compassion in Jesus as he looks at Thomas and he says, Hey, buddy, Thomas, look, stop doubting. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus gave Thomas everything he needed to believe. Here's what Jesus didn't do. Jesus didn't belittle Thomas. He didn't put him down. He didn't make him feel like scum of the earth because he didn't believe like everybody else. Jesus understood that Thomas was working through some stuff. Jesus understood that not everybody is in the same place. We are all over the map in here this morning as to what we believe about Jesus. He didn't look at, John, at Thomas and say, Thomas, you can't be my disciple anymore because you didn't have enough faith. No, he looks at Thomas and he gives him what he needs and then he says, Thomas, come on, buddy. Stop doubting. And I just have to believe, and I have been praying all week as we approach this Easter weekend, that the presence of God for some of you is going to give you exactly what you need this morning. What do you need to believe? Just like Jesus did for me when I needed it, it's just what he did for Thomas. Thomas, if you need to touch my hands, Touch him. If you, if you need to touch my side, Thomas, do whatever it is that you need to do, buddy. And Thomas reached out and he put his fingers in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. And Jesus peeled up his robe and he exposed that wound to Thomas. And he said, Thomas, if you need to put your hand in there, you go right ahead and you put it in there. And then look at verse 28. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. It became personal for Thomas, and it wasn't any longer your Lord and your God. No, that's not what he said. My Lord and my God. It became personal for him. And he wasn't just believing in Jesus. He was believing Jesus. There is a difference. James tells us that even the demons believe in Jesus and tremble. Thomas believed and it became personal. And I am just crazy enough to believe that on this Easter weekend, somehow something bigger than me is going to come upon you and penetrate your heart and you are going to stop doubting and you are going to begin to believe. 
what builds my faith is what happened to some of the apostles. So in what little time we have remaining, I just want to talk to you about a couple of the apostles. Uh, Peter would deny Jesus three times. He would spend a, a lot of time with Jesus, and then Jesus would be arrested. Peter would be following closely, but he didn't want to be too close because he didn't want to get caught around Jesus. He was kind of afraid. So he's in this courtyard. He gets, you know, hey, you were with Jesus. And three times he said, no, I wasn't. That same Peter eventually will spend time with the resurrected Christ where Jesus will say, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's going to get almost exasperated. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And eventually Peter is going to get the opportunity to speak to thousands of people about Jesus and literally thousands of people are going to respond to a sermon that Peter preaches about Jesus. Can you imagine going from that little faith to that much faith? That's Peter. Eventually Peter would be challenged to renounce his faith. Take it back. Take it back or we will crucify you. To which Peter responded, look, you're going to do to me whatever you're going to do, but please, if you're going to crucify me, please, I, I'm not worthy to be, to be treated the same way my Lord was treated. And the tradition tells us that Peter was literally crucified upside down so as not to be mimicking Christ. That's how strong his faith got at the end. Why did Peter die? Not for what he believed. Peter died for what he saw. He saw the risen Christ. He had seen Jesus raised from the dead. James, the brother of Jesus. I've heard Andy Stanley say this a thousand times, and it really is the truth. What would your brother or sister have to do to convince you that they were the Son of God? What would they have to do? James, the brother of Jesus, becomes convinced that Jesus is the Son of God. Just ask yourself, what would my brother, what would my sibling have to do? There, uh, listen, there's nothing I could do to convince my little brother that I was the Son of God. He'd say, hey, no, no. When James was ordered to renounce his faith and he said no, they threw him off of a temple tower. That didn't kill him, so they stoned him and they hit him with clubs until he died. Why did he die? He died not for what he believed. He died for what he had seen. He had seen his brother, the risen Christ. I think the Apostle Paul might be the, the greatest example I can uh, show you. He was hated um, by Christians, and he hated Christians. Uh, he, he, I say he was hated by Christians. Hopefully they didn't hate him. You're not supposed to hate people. But he routinely rounded Christians up for the purpose of persecuting them and having them put to death. And one day he was, he was visited by the risen Christ and he is so transformed by that, that moment um, that he joins the movement that he had to that point hated. He joins the movement that he has persecuted and literally had those people put to death. And he begins to be a leader and he fearlessly preaches Christ and he says, for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. I want to show you what might be the greatest argument for the, the, the work of Christ that's ever really been given to us, and that is the three maps of Paul's missionary journeys. All those lines represent the journeys that Paul went on to tell people about his experience of seeing the risen Christ. Now, you see that, and I'm going to tell you that in those 
three little squiggly lines that you see there, those three journeys, that accounts for 10,000 miles. Now, I'm going to read to you from Paul's own hand what he experienced as he traveled on these journeys. I just want you to listen to this. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Okay, let me explain to you what that is, because whenever I read that, I always want to stop and make sure you get what that is. 40 lashes minus one means they took a cat of nine tails, a whip that had leather thongs on it with glass, bone, and stone affixed in some way, glued, tied, I don't know, but it was affixed to this whip. They would wrap his arms around a post, pull his back taut, and start to whip him, and his back would begin to open up with each blow of that whip. And they could only do that 39 times. They never went 40, because if you went over, then you could get whipped. No one wanted to do that. I'm pretty much sure that after about two of those, let me just, one of those, just one, one lick, I would probably be ready to renounce my faith. Okay? I don't think I could have gone through one of these sessions where he took me up to 39 and whipped me like that. Paul says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Look at this. He goes on, verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Just ask yourself as I read this, at what point would I have said, forget this. I'm not getting treated like this. I'm not going through this. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. That's what he went through. Not because he believed, but because he saw the resurrected Lord. Reports vary about how Paul died exactly, but it is commonly believed that in A.D. 64 or A.D. 65, they marched Paul outside the city of Rome, about three miles. They put him on his knees, and they either cut his head off or they got behind him and took the sword and drove it into the base of his neck, down into his spine to kill him. These men didn't die for what they believed. They died for what they saw, and they told us about it. Now, we don't get to see. And you say, Brett, that's not fair. They got to see it. We don't get to see it. I know. That's why God says, come, come know about me. That's not what God says. God says, come believe in me. It's going to be about faith. And then we come to Thomas, who was unfairly branded as a doubter. And when he saw the risen Lord, and he was able to put his fingers in his side and put his fingers in his hands, he believed. Doubt is not the end of faith. For many, it is the beginning of faith. And once Thomas got what he needed, he traveled farther than any other disciple, going all the way to India to preach the message of Jesus. And one day they found him in a cave, and they looked at him and they said, Renounce your faith. And he said, I would never renounce my Lord and my God. And they drove a spear through his body. The Jesus that Thomas doubted was the same Jesus Thomas was willing to die for because he had seen the risen Lord. Thomas believed enough to die for Jesus. I'm wondering this morning if you believe enough to live for him. Nobody's asking you to die in here today. 
We gather today with billions of Christians all around the world to say we believe he is the Son of God. We believe the stone was rolled away, we believe the tomb was empty, and we believe that Christ was risen from the dead. Some of you came in here today with some doubts, and that's okay. That's a pretty good place to start. And I've been praying for you this week that because of the presence of God that maybe you feel even now that someone who came in here with doubts would finally be moved to faith in the Son of God the risen Christ, our Lord. I want to just, uh, I want to pray over you. Um, if you just bow your head, let's pray. Father, for the one who came in and they either have no faith or it's really not very strong, I pray that you would be touching them today. I pray that they would feel your presence. I pray that they would come to a place where they understand that they've got to reach out and latch on and it's got to be something that they believe, not something their parents believed or not something somebody told them. But they've got to do the work, and they've got to investigate, did this man raise from the dead? Because if he did, if he did, then it changes everything. Father, I thank you for the crucifixion of Jesus, which takes away our sin. But I thank you more for the resurrection that gives us a hope and gives us something that we can truly put our faith in. One of five things happened Uh, The other four don't make much sense to me. The one that makes the most sense to me is that Christ is who he said he was. And he rose from the dead. We in this room believe it this morning. And we're thankful for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.